Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. To be in a marathon, doesn't it? You have to train right, eat right, be disciplined, self-controlled, and avoid any distractions that might be along the course as you pursue the prize at the end of the race. Which leads us to the book of 1 Samuel, where we meet a guy named Saul, who's the epitome of heroism. And he embodies a real-life superhero. He was tall as a tree. He was incredibly courageous. And as every good superhero, he was the best-looking dude in all the land. And since Israel was looking for a king, Saul fit the bill and was named king of Israel due to his heroic attributes. And in the marathon of Saul's life, he started off so strong too. He led armies into battle. He did everything that the Lord commanded him to do. But with every victorious battle, Saul's character flaws began to show. And as much as he started with splendor, he finished with failure. And today, we'll see that every Christian must be obedient to God's word because rejecting God's word always leads to failure. And in our passage this morning, we'll see four realms in which King Saul failed, proving that he is anything but a superhero. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 15 as we discover Saul's demise, starting at verse 1. 1 Samuel 15, verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now in order for us to properly understand this passage, we need to set the context. We need to understand why would God give such an order to destroy everything in Amalek? Why would God do that? It's because centuries ago, simply, the Amalekites rejected God. They rejected God, and they attacked God's people, Israel, thus leading to God promising judgment in response to the sin that had been committed. And that judgment is what Saul is now being commanded to do. It's an obvious test of obedience, no doubt. But as we see, as we're going to see today, Every Christian must be obedient to God's word because rejecting God's word always leads to failure. And whether you agree with God's word or not, it's not to be debated, but obeyed. And sure enough, the first realm we see Saul fail is failed obedience. We pick that up in verse 8 and 9. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatting calves and the lambs 
and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Saul fails to obey God's word. Yes, he leads the Amalekites into battle, but what did God just command? In verse 3, it says, Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. All that they have. God did not tell Saul to pick and choose whatever you think is best, whatever you think is worth saving, whatever you'd like to keep for yourself. No, destroy everything. And Saul disobediently decides to spare King Agag as well as the prime oxen, sheep, calves, and lambs. What we see here is selective obedience. And selective obedience, guess what? Is still disobedience. It's like when your mother gives you, asks you to go to the grocery store and she gives you a detailed list of items to get. You know, milk, bread, eggs, fabric softener, whatever it is. And at the very bottom of the list, you see liver. And because you absolutely detest liver, you're like, nah, not happening, not today. I'm not getting that. I'm going to get steak instead. And just hope your mom's okay with it. And sure enough, when you get home and mom asks, hey, did you get the liver? And you're like, I got steak instead. And mom says, excuse me, but I told you to get liver. And you're shaking in your boots because you know you're in big trouble. And this is kind of what Saul does. Essentially what Saul does. God gave him a list of items to accomplish to check off, and Saul fails to deliver. Pardon the pun. And just like when you disobey a parent, a simple task from a parent, Saul's disobedience to God doesn't end well. Doesn't end well. Saul's choice to spare King Agag and the livestock poses as a, a picture of our own unwillingness to to deal with the sin in our own lives, to, to cut it off, to kill it, to put an end to that sinful desire that we feel needs to be fulfilled in some way. And it makes me think, what's my agag? What's that one thing that's keeping me from loving God in the way he commands What's that one thing from keeping me in walking in perfect, complete obedience to the Lord? Isn't our job here to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And what does it say in John 14? That if you love me, you will keep my commandments? Saul failed to keep the Lord's commandments. He failed to obey the commandments. And when we reject God's word, it leads to our second realm of failure we see in this passage. And that's failed humility. We see that in verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. 
Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told to Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Saul, after striking down the Amalekites, is riding this emotional high. This victorious air has consumed him, so much so that it's blinded him to see the error of his ways. It's pride that's the real issue at hand for King Saul. Unlike Saul, Samuel was grieved, grieved upon hearing that the Lord's had been disobeyed and that the Lord's heart was not happy with what Saul had done. And it says in verse 11, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. One quick thing about this passage is that it says, God says this. It says, God said, I regret that I have made Saul king. Now, does that mean God's saying, oops, I messed up. Shouldn't have done that. No, that's not what it means. Because we know that the God of the Bible is a sovereign God, an omniscient God, a God that doesn't make mistakes. But this reaction is simply an expression of sorrow. Or a fancy term is anthropomorphism, which is when God explains himself to man in human terms so man can have an understanding of God's heart. Now back to Saul, Saul's pride continues as he makes a monument of himself in verse 12. And this is about as arrogant as it gets. It would be like if I were to build a monument of myself after preaching this message. Or if I were to put a self-portrait of myself hanging in the welcome center so every time somebody came in those doors, they'd just have to look at me. It's this kind of ridiculousness that leads to Saul's failed humility. For in verse 13, it continues, And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord, which is odd because he certainly did not perform the commandment the Lord gave him. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? In the lowing of oxen that I hear. Saul said, They have brought, from, brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. I know we've all heard the saying, Quit while you're ahead. This is what Saul should have done. Saul is clearly so full of himself, he completely misses the mark. Even Saul himself has convinced himself, has believed in his own mind that he's kept the commandments of God. And because of his pridefulness, ends up believing a lie. This is why we see in many different stories, passages throughout the Bible, in the book of James in particular, where it says, God opposes the proud. 
but on the flip side gives grace to the humble. Pride and dishonesty only separate us more from the heart of God as we follow the path we want. But humility evokes the grace of God as we stay true to his plan and his desires over our own. As we've seen so far, Saul is anything but a superhero through his failed obedience, failed humility, and now his failed leadership. We see that right in verse 17. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? This statement alone reminds us that Saul was put into a position of leadership, and yet his own self-deception was his undoing. And as it continues in verse 18, And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul's self-deception leads to failed leadership. For he did not keep the word of the Lord. He did not follow instructions. He did not listen to Samuel's correction. And he puts blame on others for his failed leadership by saying, but the people took of the spoils, not me. This reminds me of a story of two brothers. Two brothers who like to wrestle. And nine times out of ten, when two brothers wrestle, somebody gets hurt. And in this particular story, two brothers are wrestling, somebody gets hurt, dad comes running down the stairs and says, what happened? And as soon as they see dad, they look at each other and at the exact same time point and say, well, he started it. And from personal experience, I know that the older of the brothers usually ends up taking most of the blame. Because the older brother should have set a better example. And this is what we see in this passage. Saul should have set a better example. He did not set a good example by not getting rid of King Agag. And this led his army to taking the spoil. Saul was the first to sin and his soldiers simply followed his lead. How often do we do this? How often do we put the blame on others in our own lives? when we were put in a position of leadership. What has God placed under your authority? For many of us here, it's probably people. Whether at work, it's employees, or for your parents out there, grandparents, it's your children, your grandchildren. And whether they're young or old, there's still your responsibility to lead well. So let's honor the Lord in that. Let's Set a godly example for our employees, for our children and grandchildren. Not like Saul. For every Christian must be obedient to God's word. For rejecting God's word always leads to failure. Failed obedience, failed humility, failed leadership. And the fourth and final realm in which Saul failed is in his devotion to the Lord. Saul's failures come to a climax in his failed devotion to God. We see that in verse 22. 
has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Saul fails to give God proper devotion when he chooses sacrifices over obedience and repentance. Saul's trying to cover up his mistake by offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But is that what God wants? God doesn't need anything. But God delights in the devotion of those who love him. As one commentator writes, one could make a thousand sacrifices to God. Work a thousand hours for God's service. Or give millions of dollars to his work. But all those sacrifices mean very little. If it's not out of a surrendered heart to God. Shown by simple obedience. You see, there's nothing wrong with sacrifices. Sacrifices demonstrate illustrate, communicate a relationship with God. But if that person doesn't truly love God or offer those sacrifices out of a surrendered heart, out of a repentant heart, then that sacrifice is simply a a hollow ritual, empty, worthless in the sight of God. Saul's heart switched allegiances. For no true superhero would ever swap good for evil, selflessness for selfishness. I like how the NIV writes in verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Samuel is comparing rebellion to witchcraft or divination and arrogance to idolatry, which in the book of Exodus is worthy of death. Are we aware of this? Rebellion and idolatry can easily distract us from being fully devoted to God. When we are putting our desires ahead of God's desires, by putting people, money, jobs, reputation ahead of doing God's will, These things put a stranglehold on our ability to be truly devoted to God. And this leads to the Lord's rejection of Saul. As it reads in the latter half of verse 23, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And then we hear Saul's unrepentant response and plea to come home with Samuel then we hear it again. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. It's very clear that there are consequences when we reject the Lord and we choose our own path. Saul had to learn this the hard way and have his throne taken away because he rejected the Lord. So that begs the question, doesn't it? 
Whose throne are you on? Who's king of your life? Whose kingdom are you committed to? Yours or God's? I think we can all agree that Saul was anything but a superhero. But neither are we. Let's face it, we fail all the time. We fail to to demonstrate obedience to God, fail to walk in humility, be good leaders, and we fail to devote all of ourselves to the Lord. I know I do, daily. And even though we fail over and over again, one thing after another, we must remember that there is one hero who never fails. One hero who can lead us into a life of obedience, humility, leadership, and devotion. Because he demonstrated perfect obedience, extraordinary humility, godly leadership, and unwavering devotion. Knowing that there was a price to be paid for every sin, every failure, past, present, and future. One hero, and his name is Jesus. And Saul's life is a reminder of why Jesus came to earth. To make a way for each one of us who falls short in this life. Who falls short of the glory of God. Jesus came to be righteousness in our unrighteousness. To be strong when we are weak. To be our savior, defender, redeemer, and healer. So with our sights set on Jesus... In the marathon of our own lives, let's not follow Saul's example. For Saul started with splendor, but finished with failure. But as it says in Hebrews 12, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Ladies and gentlemen, this world continues to elevate its own superheroes, sports heroes, celebrity heroes, business heroes, and sometimes church heroes. But there's only one hero worth following, and that's Jesus. He's the only true hero in this life and the next. And because of his great love, exercised perfect obedience, humility, leadership, and devotion. And because of Jesus and with Jesus, we can do the same thing. Let's finish strong, church. Let's fix our eyes on the prize, on Jesus following his example. For with Jesus, we are victorious. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your incredible love for us. Even when we fail you, you extend to us mercy and grace through Jesus, the founder and perfecter 
of our faith. Help us to be obedient to you. Walk humbly before you. Lead as you lead us and be devoted followers of you. For you are worthy to be followed, Lord. We bow to you. We lay down our lives before you because you laid down your life for us. Help us to do these things, Lord, by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.